Welcome to this podcast series from Aged Care Steps, where we explore themes on aged care advice for financial advisors to support building confidence and competence to provide aged care advice. This series features conversations with experts from Aged Care Steps on how aged care advice fits into compliance and ethics in an evolving landscape. We explore topics relevant to financial advisors, such as the three phases of retirement, foreseer and best interest, why aged care and choosing a business model, making money from aged care advice, starting your business and foreseer and business efficiencies. Remember to visit the Aged Care Steps website for more information. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to our podcast on the Aged Care Steps white paper on planning for the third phase of retirement. I'm Paulette Trevina and I'm talking with Asayet David, a director of Aged Care Steps and author of this white paper. Hi there, Asayet. Hi, Paulette. So tell us about this white paper. So this white paper challenges the way that we think about retirement planning. The financial planning industry has pretty much been based on getting the baby boomers ready for retirement. So they get to the point where they're retirement ready. And that's pretty much provided the foundation of, of the industry. But things have changed. The things that have changed have been that our clients are living a lot longer. Some of them are dealing with frailty risk in particular, either for themselves or for their parents. And also, they're a lot older than they were when the industry started, you know, going back 20 or 30 years ago. And so what this all means is that we as an industry need to rethink the way that we deal with retirement planning. So in essence, what this white paper does is it encourages advisors to plan for and consider the client's frailty years in retirement and be more proactive in helping clients throughout retirement rather than just getting them ready for retirement. So that sounds really interesting. You talk about the shifting landscape of financial advice. How does this work? So traditionally, advice has been pretty much based on getting the baby boomers ready for their retirement. So getting them retirement ready, which means trying to determine how much they need in retirement based on the amount of income we expect that they're going to have on day one of retirement. But now a lot of that has shifted. And the reason why it's shifted is because, as mentioned earlier, a lot of clients may already be in retirement and dealing with a range of other issues, including greater longevity or maybe frailty risk for themselves or their parents. And also they're starting to look for more services within retirement. So advisors are starting to rethink the level of services and the type of advice that they provide that's more appropriate for clients throughout their retirement. One of the other major changes I think that's that's really affecting the way that the industry is thinking about um, retirement planning is what's referred to as the great wave transfer. And what this is, according to McCrindle research, is that over the next two decades, the baby boomers will pass on more than $3 trillion to the next generation. And that is going to be a real game changer because I think previously, um, when we were traditionally, When we thought about the success of an advisor, it was all built around measures such as funds under advice and number of clients that they had. Whereas if we take into account this great wave wealth transfer, what it really means is that the funds under advice that the client has built up over the years are going to start moving over the next decade or so. And also their clients themselves, if they end up passing away, are going to be passing on their wealth to the next generation. And so what this means is advisors really need to start to build that bridge or that relationship with the next generation that will be receiving the funds. 
So the white paper talks about the phases of health in retirement defined by the client's health and capacity. Can you tell us more about these? Yes. So if you consider retirement planning, traditional ways of doing retirement planning, it was very much built on figuring out how much the client needed on day one of retirement in terms of income and then determining what the end date for the client was, which was their life expectancy, perhaps adjusted a little bit for, for the longevity changes in the, um, in the statistics, so adding a couple of years onto that, and pretty much leaving that, that assuming that the client's income is going to be increasing in line with inflation, almost like a, like a flat line. But if we consider the different phases of retirement based on the person's health, what we find is that a lot of those assumptions are too simplistic. So if we go back a few steps, uh, the Institute of Health and Welfare has identified that for an average 65-year-old male and an average 65-year-old female, that there are three phases, but measured more in terms of their health. And so they talk about there's a, a phase of no disability, there's a phase of some disability and a phase of severe disability. And so what that talks about is that in the first phase, we, we call that more the, the carefree years where the client might be enjoying all those fun things that they've been looking forward to in retirement, you know, the travel and the like. The second phase is when they start, start to have some disability. And so they become uh, still able to look after themselves and live independently, but perhaps they're not as mobile. Uh, and some of the frailty is starting to increase in terms of their health and reduces their ability to be able to do some of the things that they've done. So we call this the quiet years. And that accounts for about 30 to 36% of a client's retirement years. Then the third phase, which is what we call the frailty years, that's when the client uh, really struggles to be able to live independently because of their health. And so therefore they either have to bring support into their home or they have to rely on their partner or their family to act as their carer, or they may have to move into a um, either retirement village or residential care facility. And so that's what we mean by the three phases. If we consider the reality of retirement then, we would argue that rather than treating retirement as one single period, that really should be treated as three distinct periods. And distinct because each one of those different phases will have an impact on the amount of income that the client needs. It will have an impact on things like their living arrangements, uh, also their priorities and their strategies. And it will also impact on their portfolio construction approach. So in effect, we're arguing that in this white paper, that advisors really need to think about retirement planning in terms of planning for three distinct phases and particularly incorporating the frailty years which, are, which have a big impact on the outcomes of the, for the client in their retirement. So in developing competitive advice services, taking a holistic approach is important, would you say? Oh, definitely. Even if you consider things like the, not just the industry trends that I just mentioned or the demographic trends that I mentioned, but also for SIA where it encourages, as part of the standards, that advisors need to take into account the broader long-term needs and financial circumstances of the client. And so that therefore means that advisors really need to consider the different life transitions. So each of those different phases we treat as different transition, life transitions where the advisor can provide support, more specific support for the client in meeting their specific needs in those different phases. Now there are industry standards such as the ASFA retirement standards uh, that look at how much income an average retiree may need at the age of 65 and at age 85 based on either a modest 
or a comfortable living standard. But we think that they actually fall short really in being able to deal with this third phase, which is the frailty years. And if you take into account things like the Royal Commission into Aged Care, which is uh, will be providing its final report in February of, this, of next year, 2021, we think that that's going to result in rising costs in aged care. So in, in essence, if you consider the way to try and deal with some of the gaps in the aged care industry, uh, it means you have to get greater resources being injected into the aged care industry, whether it be through staff costs, whether it be through processes, whether it be through uh, other kind of care costs. And those costs will, will may be partly met by the government, but there's no doubt in our view that we think that uh, over time, the consumer will be asked to pay greater costs where they've got the financial ability to do so. And this basically means that when it comes to dealing with the frailty years, over time, we believe that the costs of aged care are going to be increasing. And this becomes a significant area and issue to consider when it comes to dealing with retirement planning. And that's why it's important for advisors to consider these issues for clients who might be pre-retirees or in retirement uh, to ensure that the client has got the financial capacity or has got access to assets or income or has considered other strategies available to them to help them deal with the rising costs of aged care in, these, in their later years um, so that ultimately the client has got greater control and independence uh, and influence in terms of what happens to them in the last 10, 12, and particularly the last four to five years of their retirement. And for advisors, what are the benefits of having a discussion about the frailty years? So one of the main benefits is that it's the advisor is able to support the client throughout the different life transitions that they're going through. And they can differentiate their service so that it becomes more all-encompassing and is better suited to the client as they go through changes in their own life and their own circumstances. So there, are, so there are a number of other benefits as well for the advisor, incorporating aged care as part of their broader service to clients. Now, because aged care is more strategic in nature rather than relying on managing an investment portfolio or on product placement, it means that the advisor can diversify their revenue sources and diversify their business and ensure that they've got a portion of their, of their business or their services that's less reliant on investments and less reliant on share markets or investment markets going up or down. It also means that the advisor is able to really differentiate their, their service model because they're able to provide a more all-encompassing service for the, for the client that incorporates the different life transitions and incorporates both the strategic aspects of, of their retirement planning as well as the investment, cash flow uh, and et cetera aspects of their, of their retirement. So there are really a number of benefits that help the advisor therefore boost their business from a revenue perspective, both in terms of quantum of revenue and the diversification of their revenue base. And ultimately, it also provides better services uh, for their clients. So I imagine that the cost of aged care is a frightening topic for a lot of people, and there seem to be a lot of unknowns. How do you go about predicting these costs? Yes, that, that's right. Um, it's very difficult, I think, to try and predict what the aged care costs for a person would be when they're 65 years old and you're trying to predict 20 years out. But the reality is that what you really need to look at is having access to assets, income or other strategies to help meet the aged care costs for the client. 
Now, if you consider the aged care costs, they can pretty much vary from anywhere from $100 a week to something like $5,000 a week, depending on the health of the individual. But what we're really looking at here in terms of the cost to, to be included, include things such as the contributions that the person may make for home care packages if, if they're lucky enough to receive a home care package, uh, looking also funding the weight if they're waiting for a home care package. So at the moment, the higher level home care packages, the wait for that may be 12 months plus. Also looking at funding private care because the government subsidised care may not be enough to meet the needs of the individual. So looking at being able to take into account the costs of uh, supplementing any government support with private care, as well as capital expenditure. So if you consider as the person ages, they, be, they may become less mobile. And so therefore they may need to make some modifications to the home to cater for that. Things like widening the doors if they're in a wheelchair, or, or making other changes to, to accommodate. And all of that may cost, may, may cost a reasonable amount. And so when it comes to identifying what the costs are, I know it's, it's a bit like saying it's as, you know, how long's a piece of string. What we are encouraging here is for advisors to recognise that the costs are likely to be higher than what's currently predicted by, say, the ASFA standards, and ensuring that, that as the client transitions through the different phases, to have a better gauge of what they think those costs may be and being able to ensure that they're, they're talking to them about, as I said, access to assets, level of income perhaps, but also other strategies available to them, such as using the equity in their home perhaps to help fund some of their costs or using things like the pension loan scheme. So there are other options available that they need to consider. And how do you approach starting this conversation with clients? I imagine this gets easier with experience. Yes, um, I think a lot, of, a lot of advisors avoid the conversation because they find it all a bit too scary sometimes, but it's a really important conversation to have with clients and there are different ways of being able to approach it so it becomes more a common conversation that they have with, with their clients. So a, cu a couple of key tips with, with that would be to ensure that the agenda for every review meeting that's done with clients or with new clients incorporates a discussion around the frailty years. And that way then it becomes a more normalised conversation where you're talking about uh, ensuring that retirement uh, incorporates different phases, one of those being frailty years and having to deal with aged care costs. So certainly incorporating aged care as an agenda item I think makes, makes a big difference. The second thing too is just changing the process that advisors use. So when it, whether it be again review meetings or talking to new clients, many advisors may draw the family tree to get an idea about what the situation is of the client. But what you can do with that is start to ask up the family tree, which in other words, asking about their parents or the in-laws or other family members that they may be responsible for and asking about how those parents are coping when it comes to dealing with aged care and whether the, their client uh, has had to interact or be involved or uh, be responsible for, for their parents um, in, in terms of their aged care, either the financial needs or the actual care needs. And that becomes another way of introducing aged care as part of the conversation. So there's, there's some very basic tips involved, but ultimately it's an area where advisors need to be able to communicate with their clients in the way that they'll communicate about a range of other things. So whether that be that they talk to clients about aged care as part of, by, by including say, an article in their newsletter that they send out, 
whether it be doing it by putting uh, information or article on their website or on their social media page or having brochures or information available to clients, uh, um, whether it be in, the in their reception area um, or include as part of their plan generally, um, just a general information. All of these make the conversation about aged care easier for the advisor and also ensures that the client knows that they can talk to their client, talk to their advisor, sorry, about aged care because often clients may deal with aged care and if the advisor's never spoken to them about aged care, they may never think that they should be bringing their advisor when they've got an issue because their advisor's never communicated that with them. And this, this in itself uh, causes a lot of issues. But the real value of having the conversation with clients around aged care is ensuring that the client is better prepared, whether it be the client themselves or their, the client's parents or other family members, ensuring that they're better prepared for aged care rather than waiting for a crisis to happen and then having to deal with the client and their family when they're highly emotional and probably not in a very good headspace to be able to make important decisions around their financial strategies uh, and the implications around all of that. So uh, we very strongly encourage advisors to consider incorporating aged care conversations as part of their process. So the other thing to also keep in mind is that if the advisor doesn't talk about aged care, what does that mean? It basically means that they're ignoring the frailty risk for their clients in retirement. It also means that they are adding risks to their client in terms of their retirement risks and ultimately means that the client may not be uh, well positioned to be able to deal with changes either to their health or the health of their parents and be able to make informed decisions. And ultimately what that means is either the client uh, may look to another advisor to get support on aged care if their own advisor has never spoken to them about aged care and that puts that client at risk. But it's also a risk for the client's retirement portfolio because if the costs of aged care in, in those frailty years are increasing and the client hasn't taken that into account, then that introduces new risks into the client's uh, retirement. Okay, so talking about retirement risks, um, one of the things that the white paper mentions is the three pillars. Can you explain what the three pillars of re retirement risks are? Sure. So traditionally when we talk about the risks in retirement, most advisors have heard about longevity risk and they've heard about sequencing risk. So what they are is longevity risk is the risk that the client ends up living longer than, than, than expected and therefore they outlive their savings. Sequencing risk is the risk that the client retires at the wrong time in terms of the financial market returns. They, they retire at a time when markets uh, fall substantially um, and therefore the returns on their superannuation and the pension portfolio falls dramatically and that has an impact on how long their retirement savings last. But the third pillar of retirement risk is what we call the frailty risk. And this is a risk that once the client gets into the frailty years, if the advisor hasn't taken into account the additional income or access to assets or strategies to take into account the higher costs in those frailty years, then it's exactly the same consequence as the first two risks. That is, that the client runs out of money and prematurely and therefore they lose control and independence and the ability to decide what they want to do in, the, in those frailty years. And that we think is an equally important risk with the other two, 
And therefore, there are now three pillars of risk in retirement planning. And another thing that the uh, white paper talks about is the income layering strategy and the bucket strategy. Can you explain those terms? Sure. So what this, what this is talking about is when it comes to the portfolio construction approach that's commonly used when dealing with a client's retirement portfolio, these are the two common strategies. So the common, one, one of those is the income layering strategy uh, and the other one is a bucket strategy. So the income layering strategy essentially suggests that there are different types of income in retirement. There are essential income needs and there are discretionary income needs. And so what you do is you, you essentially determine what income the client has to have in retirement to pay their electricity bill and to, and to pay for their food and all the other essential items. And you ensure that you lock that in through guaranteed levels of income, whether that be uh, the age pension, whether it be annuities, whether it be cash, etc. And the discretionary component, which is income that they can still, it would be nice to have, but if, if, if it wasn't there, it wouldn't affect their lifestyle in the sense of suddenly their electricity would be turned off. Um, that can be provided by non-guaranteed levels of income, such as market-linked pension funds uh, or other assets. So what we're suggesting here is that if you consider that key strategy, when it comes to dealing with the essential and discretionary levels of income, that that probably needs to change depending on what phase of retirement the client is in. And so it becomes much more of a dynamic strategy looking at the level of income that's required based on those two components, both in the first phase, which is their, their carefree phase, but then changing as they move into the quiet years and particularly moving in the frailty years. So being able to adapt that strategy, take into account the changing levels of income, because often that strategy assumes a set level, level of income in retirement indexed to inflation. Um, the second major portfolio construction strategy that's used in retirement planning is the bucket approach. In essence, what that's all about is that you have different buckets of, of money. And so if you've got the person's uh, superannuation or pension portfolio, you would have a certain uh, amount of money that sits in their cash bucket, which is uh, conservative, not affected by market movements. And that's where you draw the income in retirement from. And then the other buckets move up. So you have a growth bucket, which the client's unlikely to draw on for another three to five years, and that provides the growth in the person's superannuation retirement. But we're, we're arguing that perhaps in that case, there may need to be a fourth bucket, and that fourth bucket is an aged care bucket. And that may be a small portion that's either put aside to deal with the costs involved in frailty, or that fourth bucket may be a strategy, such as being able to access the assets or, or, the, uh, or draw down on the equity in the person's home or using a pension loan scheme or downsizing, whatever the case may be. So it may be either funds or it could be a strategy that, that's incorporated in that fourth bucket. So really what this is talking about is saying that where we've had traditional approaches to portfolio construction when it comes to dealing with a client's retirement portfolio, they also need to be amended and adjusted based on the increasing costs or the likely increasing costs that a client's going to go through in those frailty years. So aged care advice is about helping clients to make informed decisions with confidence about accessing aged care for a loved one or themselves. What does this help clients with? So what this really helps clients with is, is helping them plan ahead of time. It helps them with making important decisions which can be quite complex around uh, aged care, but the financial decisions uh, and the impact that has on their cash flow, the impact that has on their Centrelink or DVA or estate planning. It also 
is important in helping them understand how to navigate the whole aged care process, which become which is becoming increasingly complex. You know, providing solutions for the family, helping them understand the the choices that they've got available, providing guidance for the client to help deal with a very complex situation. And ultimately, it's about helping clients, as we said earlier, maintain control, independence uh, around what happens to them or their loved one when it comes to dealing with the frailty years. So you could say it's a bit like giving them a roadmap so that they have some peace of mind? Yes, indeed. That's, that's exactly what it is. And, and one of the uh, comments that we often get from advisors when they're talking to their clients about aged care is their clients say that they don't want to be a burden on the kids. And the only way that that can happen is if the client and their, whether it be the person needing care and the family, have a bit more of a plan in place around dealing with aged care. Uh, and particularly look, incorporating things, things like the estate planning components. So in estate planning, it's quite common for someone to put together an estate plan and their will and what they want to happen for them when they're no longer in a, in a building to make their own decisions or they're no longer here. Well, I think aged care is also moving in that direction. And pretty much the same principles apply. So what would you say the secret is to successfully starting the aged care conversation? So I think the most important thing is for the advisor to have confidence in being able to raise the aged care conversation with clients. And to have that confidence, they need to have the knowledge um, and they need to understand how aged care works and they need to understand the process around giving aged care advice. Or it could simply be that they need to have a strategy in place for themselves around how they're going to deal with aged care advice for their clients, which may include outsourcing that to another aged care specialist. But ultimately, the way that they, what they really need to do is start off by getting some education, getting the right tools in place, getting the right support, and also working with the right partner to help them gain that confidence and knowledge so that they can support their clients. So that's really interesting. If advisors need accreditation and training for aged care advice, what do you think they should do? I think they should talk to aged care steps about some of the services we provide specifically in that area, including things like our aged care accreditation program, as well as our monthly webinars and masterclasses. Thanks so much, Asayet. We look forward to our next chat. Terrific. Thanks, Paulette.